Educated in political science, religious studies, and history, my guest today, Ray McGinnis, is an accomplished writer who has a passion to investigate the stories that we tell, the ones that we ignore, and how this shapes our worldviews as a society. He's with me today to discuss his recent expose on the Public Order Emergency Commission's findings after the Freedom Convoy and where past governments have exploited crisis in order to craft a strategic narrative. Every Canadian deserves to know the backstory and the whole story. Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. Well, Ray, thank you so much for joining me today on Return to Reason. It's really good to have you here. Thanks very much, David. Today, I'm excited to chat with you about this. You attended the Public Order Emergencies Commission, the public inquiry regarding the Freedom Convoy that happened last year in our nation, uh, January and February of uh, 2022. Let me know, from you attending and watching that happen, what was your result? What, did you, what conclusions did you come to regarding the public inquiry? So I, I watched the inquiry, uh, you know, throughout the six weeks. And uh, as I was watching the testimony, I was motivated to fly to Ottawa and to be there for one week and yeah. sit through the through the testimony. And my takeaway from from listening to police and intelligence officials and listening to senior government officials and cabinet ministers is that uh, no one in police uh, or intelligence, RCMP, uh, uh, you know, asked the government to invoke the Emergencies Act, although we were told by the Prime Minister and Marco Mendocino and others that that they that we we invoked the act because we've been asked to by by policing and intelligence authorities. Uh, the um, the testimony of of National Security Advisor to the Prime Minister Jody Thomas was critical, as she was you know acknowledging. You know the four tests uh, of uh, what the triggers are to invoke the national em emergency and the Emergencies Act would be uh, sabotage, you know, uh, espionage, foreign interference, uh, actual acts of serious violence, and a, yeah. and a plot to overthrow the government. And it's no, no, no. But when she gets to actual, you know, serious violence, she she swaps out the word serious for continual. And, 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 you know, and, and starts explaining, well, there was honking, you know, there was pollution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so there, you know, what the government seemed to do was to look at the Emergencies Act legislation and to say there's these strict uh, requ requirements regarding what a trigger would be. We're just going to expand that and we're going to have um, uh, get some legal advice that tells us that we think that we can invoke the Emergencies Act, notwithstanding what it specifically says. Yeah. And so when Attorney General David Lametti is on the stand, um, he's asked about the advice and he says that, you know, he's got a solicitor client privilege and so he can't speak about what the advice is. And, and so and so really we, we are left as a nation with a government deciding to uh, to draw a much bigger circle around what uh, what should trigger a national emergency, and say we've drawn a bigger circle around around the the parameters for what a national emergency would be, and we have uh, legal advice, but it's a secret and we can't tell you. So, with the initial um, public order emergency commission, what was the initial goal of that? Is it just to unearth? information or would there could have been there actually legal precedent that came out of it well it's a it's a commission 
that that provides guidance to the to the parliament. I don't know what legal. Um, I mean, it it may be looked to by. I mean, there may be. Um, you know, like there's the civil case with Ottawa residents against some protesters regarding the the the, no, the noise and everything. Um, maybe a judge will look to the uh, the conclusions in the in the commission report and say, well, uh, the commissioner said, based on everything I've listened to, I'm going to decide to say the government was you know right basically to go ahead and invoke the the emergency. And maybe maybe a judge. Uh, in a civil court would yeah. would refer to that as part of their uh, you know ruling. I, I, I don't know, but that might be what it would what what would happen. but but these things are looked, you know, they're looked upon as sort of setting a precedent. Yes. And even if it doesn't have, I mean, Justice Paul Rouleau couldn't recommend there was there was no legal, you know, nothing that's going to go to court regarding this. This is not a court of law. Uh, and so the way it's conducted throughout, you have the government with its 20 lawyers or so. They've had many months to get ready to provide uh, documents that are required for the commission to do its work. And throughout the commission, you have um, uh, people who are testifying, uh, different cabinet ministers, the prime minister, and the government lawyers are dumping hundreds of documents into the, the the laptops of other lawyers that yep. want to cross-examine. So so this is you know in a normal judicial setting you would have uh, an adjournment, and the other lawyers can look at the new documents and see what questions they want to craft to ask the person on the witness stand. But that was not what hmm. this was. It seems that government-appointed commissions are becoming more and more contentious um, as of recent. Is there is there a benefit to going through? that process still or is that being corrupted might be too strong of a word or is it inefficient in terms of how it's actually being conducted in, in the in the best of possible worlds a commission uh you know like inquiry into salmon fishing on the west coast or other things in the past um uh transportation routes and the railroads and so on uh a commission has a sober look at a topic and comes out with some recommendations and yep. the parliament takes them and and passes legislation but with uh with this uh particular commission you have a, a, a chief justice or well you have justice rouleau who has been appointed uh by the prime minister uh paul rouleau had a long you know history with close connection with the Liberal Party of Canada, serving as an executive assistant for former Liberal Prime Minister John Turner in the 1980s, and was certainly involved in the campaign, I think, in 1984. And so uh, there, there's a real disconnect between, uh, you know, wanting to have an independent inquiry, uh, because the biggest concern is that, you know, the government can't really investigate itself. And, and, and it, it's, uh, I mean, there was good cross-examination yep. throughout throughout this commission uh, but yet um you know th there was it, it's surprising reading the reading the i haven't read all 2000 pages but for example uh, i mean uh patrick morris the inspector for uh, the key intelligence inspector for the ottawa provincial police is uh is saying that there was no credible threat uh that the uh, you know on the 14th the day 
of the invocation by the prime minister. There was, you know, peaceful, um, yep. you know, not a threat to a passerby and so on. Lots of lots of that kind of comment uh, and no no assault, no looting, no bombing, you know. And so um, and so in the report, uh, Justice Rouleau will wave away that kind of, of serious comment based on uh, lots of evidence from from police officers on the ground checking out to see whether or not this is a violent or, or a peaceful assembly. And instead, Rouleau will 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 point to the testimony of a couple of Ottawa residents yeah. who at the most could point to uh, being traumatized by the honking. Yeah. One called it phantom honking. So no actual uh, assault, you know, physical assault based on the criminal code. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so he's he's he's. Well, Ray, the interesting thing is, like, I I, I was on ground firsthand uh, for about two and a half weeks in Ottawa. Myself and Jeremy, who also uh, co-hosts Return to Reason, we were there, um, and we basically went out last minute to catch up with a convoy, not not in support of any one side, but to literally try to show what was happening on the streets every day. We were live streaming multiple times a day, probably eight to 10 update videos every day. We were at the center of it. And our our experience there was very different than what the media was portraying or even the verbiage that was coming from our government. Um, very different. And, and I can actually attest to what you're talking about in terms of um, public complaint about honking and those areas is, is there's actually a, a small section of the convoy that was actually in a residential area. And I know there was efforts because I was part of trying to cover these conversations and chats with the quote unquote convoy leadership. I know there's multiple people that probably deem themselves self leaders of it, but trying to work with the city to actually move trucks away because at their, they believe their right to protest. They also did not want to disturb or did not have a heart to mess with people that were living their day-to-day lives. So it's just interesting the the difference in messaging that actually came out of reality versus what I think media wanted to portray. That's that's just my my opinion or my two cents. Yeah, it's, it makes sense. I mean, I've I've heard from numbers of people who who were there, uh, who were Ottawa residents too. One who was right downtown, a guy called David, who did a blog about going out on the third of February. So you know, the trucks were arriving. A few of them on the twenty eighth most people arriving on the 29th so 29th mm-hmm. 30th 31st first and second by the third he's saying that there's no honking after 6 p.m yeah now you know may have may have been not with an earshot and maybe somewhere else uh there might have been some honking yeah. but but you know but that's interesting and also you have an agreement by you know by the 5th of february just sort of ahead of a uh, uh, I guess a, I, I'm guessing it was a virtual meeting with uh, with Justice uh, Hugh McLean uh, on the 7th of February, where they'd said we're we're going to you know make sure we don't honk you know outside of 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and then yeah. and then the justice said no honking at all, and uh, Tom Morazzo uh, said they went around with the road road captains for yeah. block captains and said. Um, you know, yes, there, if there are any people who insist on honking, uh, uh, warn them that if you don't stop honking, we're going to cut your your cables to your air horn. Yeah. So so they took they took, you know, the protest leaders took the the injunction very seriously. And when the injunction was extended on the 16th of, of February, um, 
by the by the provincial court judge uh clearly uh he was satisfied that his uh his insistence that the honking stop uh, had been met you know yeah. maybe there was a honk here or a honk there somewhere uh, different parts of the day but 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 the but the blaring non-stop honking that had been happening annoying understandably yeah. everybody including people in the protest had 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 stopped after the 7th of february denise batters the senator for uh you know from saskatchewan uh who has who who has her offices right on wellington street uh, talked in in her uh uh in the senate against the invocation yeah. and said that uh that 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 the honking had long stopped, you know, before, before, you know, and, and that besides honking of horns as the RCMP in their text messages will tell you entered as evidence in the, in the commission is not a basis for invoking uh, an emergencies act. Yeah. It, and, and that's where this giant discrepancy comes up because it's interesting even talking to family members and close friends of mine, people who weren't on the ground who get their information from media watching mainstream legacy media is that I actually had some friends and family upset with me just for being down there thinking a part of this racist, bigoted, hatred, overthrowing the government type of rally, even though I wasn't a part of the rally, but I did attend. Um, And the difference of information that comes out. So I want to ask you a question is, in your opinion, do you would you use the word collusion between government and media to portray certain messaging around this to to prop up the idea of using the Emergencies Act? Was that a case in this in the fallout of the convoy? Well, we we have a prime minister who who has run on a reputation of being inclusive and tolerant of everybody who's willing to sit down and listen to everybody. And back in 2020, when when First Nations protesters were protesting uh, and uh, and stopped uh, via rail and 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 CN rail for over yes. a month and, yep. you know, all, all of that went on yep. for 11 weeks. And throughout all of that, the prime minister said, well, we need to have dialogue. Yeah. So uh, so so this complete reversal uh, two years later and and it, uh, you know, there were text messages between uh, Mary Liz Powers and the PMO's office with, I think, Adam Cohn with the public safety minister, Marco Mendocino's yes. assistant. Uh, I think on the, tw- I mean, the liberal cabinet was going into into a retreat on the 24th, so probably late on the 23rd on the Sunday of January. Uh, they're saying, you know, we're going to, you know, make this out to be kind of a, a January 6th North, you know, fr- sure. frame them as, you know, so... And, and you know, let's let's make sure that Marco Mendocino doesn't say anything too early. And we also want to make sure we got some people in global who, who can who can run with this narrative. But we don't want to say Marco Mendocino to say anything too incendiary. He doesn't want to drive out the crazies, quote unquote. Yeah. So so, uh, you know, and Rupa Subramania, who's uh, an independent reporter who with the you know National Post and, and other uh, other media outlets who lives five minute walk from from yeah. where the protest was and she visited uh, every day you know two three times a day and interviewed yeah. hundreds of people and and she said that you know it was clear that there was this received narrative and she talks about how you know be you know by the time the the protesters arrived she she talks about you know she's following the, the mainstream news and she says she has all this quote stuff in her head 
And so she went to see if, if this stuff in her head, you know, was was re relatable at all to what was actually happening. Yeah. And, and it's almost to me like, I mean, like the back in the fall in the winter of, of 2021, uh, the RCMP had been uh, there was a report on the on the on the RCMP and they'd chastised the RCMP for its work environment for being homophobic and racist and misogynist. And it's almost like somebody took the took the 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 the, the key points of the, the of the report there. report yeah. damning the RCMP's behavior yeah. uh, and and the culture and and sort of just lathered it onto the protesters. Yeah, it is um, really interesting to see the difference, uh, the fallout, I should say, difference of opinions that still stand. Just just for to clarify, what was the result of the public inquiry? What was the final statement or the final? verdict so to speak so the public inquiry said uh, reluctantly in quotes uh the commissioner rulo said reluctantly uh the the government was 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 justified in invoking yes the emergencies okay. act and most i think it may be the most significant thing too is that where the 1988 leg legislation of the Emergencies Act uh, stipulated that that in order to invoke an, a national emergency, a government needs to have uh, the grounds to, to show that there is either espionage, sabotage, uh, serious acts of violence, or a yeah. plot to overthrow the government. Now, in the commission's report, they have said uh, we we're, we we want to remove these four stipulations. And leave it to the government in the future to if they if they have a sense, you know, if there's a perception that there is a a national emergency, uh, we we won't have the, any any kind of anchors to to ground in in reality what 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 that sense could be. Yeah. Uh, catastrophizing, a bad night's sleep, uh, a long sure. history of anxiety disorder that's maybe not not been diagnosed, uh, and off you go. So that's um, not based in logic, not based in fact. It's essentially based in feelings, which makes it relative, a useful tool, depending who's uh, who's at the helm of it. And and there seem to be, I mean, on the best way of looking at it within the cabinet and the senior government officials, there was uh, groupthink and catastrophizing. Yes. I mean, you've got uh, a quarter of the of the protesters have their children with them. You've got thousands of children, I think, in, you know, all over, no all doubt. over, yep. all over. They're, they're playing, uh, they're making snow skulls. It felt like a Canada day carnival in wintertime at different days, slides, haystacks, families all around balloons, food, just so you know, like that, that's, that's the feeling was when you walked on the street day to day, in my yeah. opinion, but that's yeah. what it felt like. Yeah. People playing chess. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and, and street hockey, the, like Canadian in, fashion. I took part in the street hockey ball game. It was true Canadianism at its best yeah. there. <laughs> so, so you have children in their trucks uh, with their parents eating a samosa or a, or a cheeseburger or a ham sandwich. Uh, and, and you have a deputy uh, clerk of the Privy Council, Natalie Druan, explaining about why there needed to be the emergency act invoked she said well there were children being used as human shields yeah. i mean th this is this is the kind of reporting maybe that comes out of 
you know, I don't know, Rwanda or sure. or Bangladesh. I mean, there, there were no human shields. Yeah. And and the, um, you know, from Denise Batters and, and others who were walking through uh, the protest uh, between their offices in Wellington Street over to the parliament buildings, to the Senate chambers or to the, you know, I mean, the parliament was meeting uh, for, for days throughout yes. all of this. Yeah. You know, if, if there were, I mean, I... I you know, I, I could I could write an article giving some 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 advice to what actual protesters that want to to have a coup should do, and it wouldn't be to sit in their trucks or 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 to or to do the macarena or 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 to 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 do um uh, conga lines. Uh, I mean I mean you know you know uh, kidnap somebody, but no, sure. none of that's happening at all. No. It's the it's the you know again with the with Patrick Morris and. Carson Party and others, the, uh, the the extreme lack of violence. Uh, I mean, there were there were what five uh, uh, arrests for assault that uh, Eva Chipiak, um, one of the the convoy yeah. lawyers, yeah. points out that uh, we still don't know to this day who those five people were who were arrested concurrent to the uh, protests in downtown Ottawa well, because the police haven't re released. The names, and it would seem to me that in a in a media environment where people are really looking for some protester to say, "Well, here's what they've done," yeah, they would want to find someone uh, who sounds something more serious than T Tamara Lich, who uh, who is uh, charged for counseling mischief. Well, and even on that note, people I followed up with that you've connected with down there who as the RCMP and the different police forces moved in to remove the convoys, and there was lots of mass arrests, people being dragged out of their trucks, put on buses. There's so many stories coming out of that, that pulled on the buses, cuffed or arrested, then dropped off other places. Some charges were laid. I know a couple people personally that they're going through, and they have been going through their court proceedings over the last two, three weeks, going to Ottawa to be. And and the ones that I know, their their charges are just being dropped. It's just being thrown out the window. I know one guy that has to come back because he was the very first one, and I had a conversation with him, and he just feels his is going to be thrown out as well because that seems to be the pattern. A, a year later, I, I think that what what this whole story i mean i've i've you know the, the article you've read um is is going to become an ebook uh yeah. about you know 60 percent longer than than the original and and i i've reflected on a number of things and, and one of them is that that what happened in in china in, in the Tiananmen square this is about the about the media again um you know, I saw I saw BBC um, reporters. I think yeah. that were, you know, <laughs> passed on to the CBC News. Uh, you know, as as showing us what was happening with the Chinese army uh, shooting uh, randomly at 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 unarmed citizens, at yeah. unarmed students, and uh, this is the BBC's story. It was also what the Voice of America was reporting. Uh, that that the protesters were idealistic students that wanted to liberalize a democracy in China, uh, and that was it. And yet the uh, the state um, uh, um, media in in China was saying that these people were criminals, ruffians, and anarchists who hated China and were you know foreign influence to to agitate against the Chinese uh, government. And you have Chinese um, Naomi Wolf who wrote writes in her book The End of America, and she talks about how. You have um, 
Chinese citizens struggling, you know, if they're aware of what the Voice of America was reporting, and they would consider that, and then they would listen again to the, to the Politburo and, and the state media, and they would decide, no, the Voice of America is wrong, and the Politburo uh, state media is right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that it's, um, it's very difficult if all of the mainstream media are on the same page and repeating the same talking points over and over again about white supremacists. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, and, and I mean, I go, I go there. I mean, there are, um, you know, there are first nations, um, people who, who are, who are listening, you know, some people who were in the protest. I mean, I know that, uh, there were numbers of people who were invited, who were proposed by different, uh, groups to testify yeah. before the commission who were first nations women at least three and the commission denied them hmm. uh the opportunity to speak and it's just so odd because you have a government that's just a year ago or so um we have this new holiday on the 30th of september uh, about reconciliation yeah. with with first nations people and then when when there are first nations protesters uh and some of them uh, are proposed to testify about what they saw. Uh, the government's commission chooses not to let them speak. Yeah. So, so there's something really wrong about. I mean, is that about optics? Was there a concern that if uh, Noel Villabrun or Sandra McKenzie from from a, a First Nations uh, treaty uh, in in Alberta, if they spoke, uh, would it be clear then to more people that oh? I guess not all the protesters were angry white men. Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely feels like government is building a track record of a double standard based on convenience. Uh, and you've got multiple things that you can look back to show that. Now, you referenced the thing about a minute ago, just about some of the articles you wrote, because you released a series of articles through Covert Action magazine. That's what you were referring to earlier regarding, uh, or regarding the convoy. Why do you think that your articles had such, such a pickup? Why did so many people respond to it? Well, I, guess, I mean, I've only read. Brag I've on just, yourself I've just, a little I've bit. Just, if you I've, want. Just, I've just read the. I've just wrote the one article in Covert Action magazine. I did a couple for Propaganda and Focus, which is based in the UK and Germany. Okay, yes. Uh, initially, and then I did a number for the Frontier Center for Public Policy, and uh, I've had some other interviews, uh, you know, in in, in Europe and and so on, and and I, I mean, it's. I think it's a story about that the people need, I think, because there's the expectation. I mean, here, I mean, I've, I've been a, a liberal, you know, NDP voter, you know, for most of my life, voted yeah. conservative once. So I'm, I'm not the kind of, 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 of person in this country that would be um, normally, I mean, you know, I know a lot of, I mean, most of the people in my cohort have given the government the benefit of the doubt and trusted the media and there's there's nothing to see here and they're happy that uh the the, the prime minister saved the country from insurrectionists yeah but um but it seemed to me that this story uh just didn't add up and and didn't add up because of all the allegations were i mean early on i remember driving i i was listening to the cbc and the radio and i was hearing about uh how uh how the truck drivers were being uh, inspired and the inst there was an instigation to get them to go to Ottawa because of, uh, of, uh, of Russian uh, government agents whispering in their ear and saying, wouldn't it be a good idea to go to Ottawa? Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that's just preposterous. Sure. 
you know, and, and even the CBC ombudsman um, back in October said that that reminded the, the nation's broadcaster of their of their public responsibility and that when they uh, that when they air stories, it has to be based in evidence and fact. Yeah. Yeah. Has to be. Absolutely has to be. Otherwise, we move into a world of relativism. And how can you trust anything at that point? Thank you, Ray. Appreciate your time. We're looking forward to doing it again with you at some point. Great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You are an essential part of this series. Support truth, knowledge, and wisdom by sharing this show with a friend. Visit returntoreason.tv. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter by clicking Become an Insider. Get the latest articles, episodes, and exclusive content. It's Return to Reason.